Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Veth, and I'm back from Russia, from the Confederations Cup, and we'll definitely discuss, discuss this Confederations Cup um, to a certain extent today. And uh, to do that with me is Tim. And Tim, we haven't talked in a while. How are you doing? How is Vancouver? How is life on the West Coast? Life is great. Vancouver is wonderful. I'm very excited to hear your stories from um, Confederations Cup, and I'm very excited for you that you attended such a uh, magnificent and fantastic event. Welcome back, my friend. (laughs) It's always good times, and I'm actually heading back your way on Tuesday, so I'll probably see you soon on the beautiful West Coast, Tim. Excited nice. for it, very excited for it. <laughs> but uh, also back from his travels, uh, he's bouncing around Russia quite a bit. But he's back in Siberia. Andrew, Andrew, how is Siberia? Beautiful summer over there. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good today. I mean, yesterday the most torrential downpour I've ever seen, literally in my life, and today bright blue skies and sunshine, which pretty much sums up how I think uh, FC Men's season is going to be this year. But that's for another pod, possibly. Um, but for now, yeah, chatting, chatting with you guys about Confederations Cup and, and a whole other bunch of topics is going to be great fun today. Yeah, I mean the Confederations Cup has. Pretty much dictated uh, the Football Grad Network's life over the last two and a half weeks. And we're slowly moving away as lots of other things happening around the football world. Um, So slowly moving away from that. But we do want to do a small little recap. Because the final on Sunday, of course, turned out quite well for me. Um, (laughs) the, The German national team kind of escaped me for most of this tournament because of scheduling. And then I finally got to see them in the final and saw them win the entire thing. And uh, I don't want to uh, yeah, like point this out too much, but uh, who called this <laughs> final? <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a prediction made about this final, wasn't there? And I think I, yeah, call, yeah. I called it, didn't I? <laughs> so, sure. so there's that. But I mean, Andrew, you and I spent quite a bit of time at this tournament. And... What was your impressions? Because you obviously, you know, you spent most of the time running around the cities and taking photographs of stadiums, bars, etc., and talking to fans. What was your impression like? Well, you know what, Manny, I, I was I was pretty proud of how the Confederations Cup um, was staged because, I mean, it's you know the four host cities that were chosen: Kazan, Sochi, Saint Petersburg, Moscow. At first glance, I thought possibly they were a bit far apart, but then it then it occurred to me that they actually show four very different um, well cultures within the country. And the overriding impression for me was that all the foreigners who came were very impressed with the hospitality. Uh, I mean, you know, we were sitting there having that quite amazing breakfast with I don't know, was it Franglish sandwich? Was it money yeah, at Bulka Cafe in Moscow? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still burning off the calories from that thing, I think. But the waitress who served us, you know, we both commented straight away. You notice a difference, and that's just on the most basic level. Um, you know how welcoming and how smiling she was, and and it translated to the whole tournament for me. Um, mm. You know, the number of volunteers around the stadium who were very good at uh, directing me where I wanted to go, um, and spoke enough English to communicate well enough. That was good. Um, a, f- a few disappointments, yes. Um, I think the attendances and the pricing of the tickets was wrong. I think they should have been much more affordable. All, all tickets should have been much more affordable to make sure that all games were packed out. But generally speaking, it did its job, um, which is as a test run for the World Cup. And just a shame that Russia didn't do better than the national team themselves. But you know, even even that I'm not too down about because I don't think it was, you know, they weren't far off. It was fine margins that, that cost them in the end. But the tournament as a whole, the, the country, the host cities, I think they did themselves proud. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And actually, you know, the, the overall numbers at the tournament, it was the third best attended Confederations Cup in history. So that actually turned out all right. The only two tournaments that had higher attendance were Brazil and Germany. So, you know, it's actually on average, it did quite well. Uh, the Confederations Cup isn't really historically a tournament that, you know, sells out all the games. And towards the end of the tournament, I mean, I was in Kazan for the semifinal, a game that was pretty much sold out. It was quite magnificent, actually. And then the third place game in Moscow, which surprised me, had full attendance, 44,000 
between uh, Portugal and Mexico, and that was actually turned out to be a decent game. And then the Krastovsky was almost full for the final. Um, it looked pretty much full. I don't know where they, they saw the empty seats, but it looked pretty much full. And um, I thought and that it really picked up towards the end of the tournament. As for the 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 volunteers, well, my personal story, um, I left my jacket in Moscow, my rain jacket at the stadium, and then traveled onwards to Kazan and then St. Petersburg. And I was very sure it was at the stadium. So I contacted the media officer and uh, they actually were able to find it in Moscow. And they actually oh, wow. they got a volunteer to jump on, I think, the Subsun to bring me the jacket in St. Petersburg because it wouldn't wow. have been fast enough in mail. So um, that's so much to hospitality. I want to give a big shout-out to the host for doing that because that's that's quite magnificent. No costs, nothing. And the girl came to meet me in, uh, at Nevsky Prospect in St. Petersburg and handed over the jacket. And very nice, very friendly, um, over the top. So I think they really really tried you know was it flawless well no curtain raiser is i think there's always little things the one thing that i thought could be a problem next year is kazan is the transportation to and from the stadium when you get off the nearest metro line it's still a five kilometer walk to to kazan arena and then the security is immense at this tournament and it is a bit off-putting at times, but at the same time, I mean, Andrew, I showed you the checkpoints that I had to go through, right? It's a bit like the green <laughs> green zone in Baghdad. In mm-hmm. Kazan, it's even more. They have a two-kilometer corridor where they, you can't drive to the stadium. So you, there's no cars allowed within a range of two kilometers of the stadium, which means you have to walk. And um, I had a late I had a late flight from Kazan to St. Petersburg, um, three o'clock flight, which meant I had to get, go straight from the stadium to the hotel, pick up my luggage and then to the, the airport and then fly to St. Petersburg. And logistically, that was tight. It's really tight because you don't have good transport from the Kazan Arena to the city center. So that was something that I've noticed and it's something that I'm pretty sure they address until next year because I get the security and I get the, the, the fact that they don't want that. But at the same time, you need to get people to, to shuttle back and forward. Uh, another positive, I thought, was the fact that there was free transportation for fans and then halfway to the tournament, Sadly, when I already had booked all my transportation, they had free transportation for journalists as well. So that was that was a great thing too. So overall, I thought it was actually managed quite well. The the one downer, and I think this is something that we predicted, isn't it, Tim? The Spornaya. They oh. it was was a. I mean, I called that result. That I said they would finish third in the group, but. The question for me to you is really, do you think that Stanislav Chechesov can turn this around? Well, I'm not sure. Well, it's hard. It's a very hard question, Manu, uh, if he can or not. Um, I, I think that the, the Russian national team played at their level. I don't think they underperformed or... Yeah, I think I think they played at their own level. At this time, we don't really have time to find a new coach, and there are no other real candidates. So I think we just have to trust Cherchesa what he does. The the good thing which I saw in on the tournament, there's a different progress. It's way better than those friendly matches which they played against Ghana and all those previous countries in in, in the past year. There is a progress, but um, you're right. You remember we talked about it on on the on the preview pod, and we said that. Portugal and Mexico have better quality players than Russia players. So I don't think I don't think it's a strategy. I don't think it, it it's a massive letdown. I think Russia played as as they should have played. As you correctly guessed, they were third in the group. Mm, so I, I'm just I'm just hoping that you know I see the progress and I hope that one year is enough for Chechesov to keep working. It's too bad that Russia didn't get. Uh, not even it, it's not about about the final. I think they needed five official games, five tournament games, not those friendly matches. Too bad they had, they got only three. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they just need experience playing the the, the the quality opposition. And I hope he. I think he's on the right track. You know, I, I I'm positive after this tournament. I'm positive that that, that Chichesov is doing the right job. What about Igor Kanfeev? I think when I analyzed that game against Mexico. 
I thought when you when you really narrow it down, the tactics, Chichesso's tactics were bang on. His squad selection was bang on. They had the Mexicans at their throat. And then Akinfeyev has two blackouts and they lose the match. So is it maybe well, time to say goodbye, Igor? Is it maybe time to, to, to cut your losses and go with a different keeper? Maybe Anton Mitrushkin from Sion? Um, I, I don't think he will, he will, he will say goodbye to Akinfeyev. Uh, he was, uh, I recently, I think two days ago, Cherchesov was on Match TV and he gave a very, very big interview and answered quite a few, uh, you know, edgy questions. And one of the questions was about Akinfeyev. And he never publicly criticizes players. He says, we all are a team. We all need to work. And he pretty much, he confirmed that. He says, mm, you know, we don't call it even an error. Um, he used a different word than Russian to describe to describe an error. Um, he just he says it's not even an error. We all make those. I don't know. Not, I don't know. I don't know how to translate that word from Russian. But it's a very. It's like a light mistake. Uh, but he he was very very careful and he said, listen, he is still number one goal, goalkeeper. And uh, in Russia, that was the big 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 talking point. Everybody was talking about Akinfeev, and they remembered how he made a mistake against Korea in uh, in in the. Um, Uh, in in Brazil, and um, but he he confirmed no, he's still a number one goalkeeper. But he says at the same time, if there in at the time of the tournament, if there will be a better goalkeeper, he will play. He says I I have no I have no you know it's not I can take he has to play. He says only the best players will play. He always have been saying that. Mm. So. I assume if Churchesov will feel that there is another candidate, which is um, in terms of playing, in terms of his skills, in, uh, psychologically is better ready than Akinfeev in a given uh, day, he'll play. But uh, as of right now, Akinfeev is still number one for for, for Zborne. Of course, Stanislav Churchesov was a keeper himself. You know, for Dynamo Dresden abroad, the Tyrol. Spartak, I believe, as well, right, Tim? Yes, yes, three uh, times. So he, he knows a thing or two about goalkeeping, and I'm actually kind of surprised that, well, I guess, you know, goalkeepers, uh, I'm a goalkeeper myself, we do protect each other, and then we talk among each other about mistakes quite more clearly than we do it in public. So I, I do wonder, because I have followed Anton Mitrushkin's career, who's gone abroad, one of the very few young Russians who has gone abroad and made that move, And I almost wonder if, you know, if it's time maybe to bring him in because he was at the U19 or U17 tournament. He was the mm -hmm, player mm -hmm. of the tournament, right? And has since really developed into a very good goalkeeper. So maybe it's time to just say, like, look, so look, Igor, this is it. I mean, I'm sorry, but you, it's, you're making too many mistakes. Well, see, at the same time, Akinfeyev is a, is a very quality goalkeeper. He's he's a great goalkeeper. He he still remember he made a, quite a few saves a, even in the game against Portugal. So he's still he's still a good keeper. He makes those mistakes. But like Chichester said, everybody does make mistakes. Uh, then you know Smolnikov in the end of the game against Mexico, he did, did a big mistake. He was like a meter away from goal and he didn't score. So he says, like he didn't he didn't point that out, but he says other players make mistakes. It's just so visible for Akinfeev. He's really a great goalkeeper. Like I'm 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 you know I'm a big fan of his because he's been consistently great um, goalkeeper for the past ten I don't know thirteen years. He delivers. But unfortunately, he he made those mistakes, which costed Russia pretty much a um, uh, playoff spot. Uh, speaking of Mitrushkin, I had a question for you because, like, you know that that side of football way better than than anybody. There was quite a few rumors that he will eventually play in Bundesliga. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, that rumor keeps popping up, and I think that's the next logical step for him. Bundesliga clubs like him because he can play football. He's a he's a, he's a modern keeper, right? And that's, I think it's, he was the keeper of the season or second best keeper in, in Switzerland. And Sion, you know, Sion in Switzerland in particular is a development league for the Bundesliga because yeah. players learn the language there and there. It's a very similar style of football. So it's, it's, um, the Swiss Super League is very much a feeder league to the Bundesliga. Leip, Leipzig now signed M. Vogel from Young Boys Bayern, another very talented young keeper in that Swiss league. And they also were, linked quite often to um, Mitrushkin and I guess they went with Mbogo instead but another club who's mm. uh, heavily linked with uh, Mitrushkin is Borussia Dortmund oh you know so that's that's the the stories that you hear I think there's definitely room for him and uh, I think it's only a, in my opinion only a question of time until he makes that move because he's good enough 
And I think if you have a keeper like that playing in a top league and you have another keeper who you know has blackouts and has mm-hmm. never gone abroad to to learn a more modern style of football, I think it's only a question of time for him to bang and uh, you know saw on uh, Igor Akinfeev's um, throne. So I think for me, I would actually do it. You know, what's what's there to risk at this point? I would just go and give him the chance to play, play him in a few friendlies, see how he does. Can't do worse than the the other keepers that. Um, Chichesov has tested. I mean, Andrew, we talked about this quite a bit. How many keepers were they tested? There's Golham that was tested, right? He didn't really um, turn heads. Some of the other keepers that he brings in, it, it just they, the level just doesn't seem to be there. Well, I think um, I think what I would say about Akinfeev is that something needs to be something needs to be done. But I don't think we need to be too drastic just yet. I think what you suggested, you know, giving other keepers some some game time. Um, and Mitsushkin stands out. Um, Stanisev Kritsiuk is another who I think should be given some time, partly because of their age, but partly because of their performances. But I think you know he's really not got a lot of time left to give two or three games to a young keeper who might be able to make his way into the squad um, and say to Akinfeev, "Look, you, you're just going to sit this one out. Concentrate on." You're, you're, you're still, you're still going to be in the squad. He's obviously going to be in the squad, and most likely will be captain for the tournament, I'd imagine. But just say, look, you've, you've got to, you've got to earn your way back in. Um, I mentioned this last time we spoke about this issue with um, with Joe Hart in England at Man mm. City. Uh, same thing happened, and it did improve his, uh, it did improve his form. And Guardiola came in and decided he didn't want him for last season. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, personally, I think that was a slightly odd decision, but you know, anyway, the point is. Even most established keepers, the experienced ones, the ones who are captains and leaders of their team, even they need, you call it a break, don't call it dropping him, call it a break from the national team. Mm. Um, there are so many goalkeepers in Russia at the moment that are a really, really good standard that, you know, you could have you could have pretty much anyone out of about 10 keepers and they'd be good enough for the Russian national team squad. So, yeah, I mean, with Akinfeyev, with that's somewhat what I think about him. Um, I think he's still number one, and I think he will be for a good few years until until he retires. Um, but I think it is time. I agree with you guys, just to not to undermine him, but just to say, look, you're going to have to challenge for it. Um, I think it will only do good things for him. Well, you see what Germany did, right? And they brought three keepers. They played one in the preparation game, then they played they played Leno. In the first group game, he didn't do very well, and now they played uh, Ter Stegen. You know, who's ob- of course he he plays at Barcelona. Uh, it's a very different ball game, but um, you know, they Neuer is injured. But even if Neuer hadn't been injured, he wouldn't have gone to this tournament simply because Löw wants to test out other players and uh, test out gift players that wouldn't necessarily get the playing time on a regular basis give them the playing time at a tournament like this so they, they, they gain the experience. So maybe this would have been the right time to do it. But I mean, one of the things that that he has, Chichesov has struggled with, and I think given that, um, how low, how few talents he, uh, he has available to him, he still managed to get rid of Ignashevich and Berezutsky, the Berezutsky twins, and make the squad younger and introduce more players. Now, there's always been in Russia, these attempts to make sure that more young players play in the league. And uh, we've talked many times about that 6 plus 5 rule, right, Andrew? And how it's actually more damaging than anything else because, you know, it forces clubs to play. Now, the news today is that there's some changes going to be happening to this rule. Maybe a little bit too late, but walk us through that. What's what's going on? What is What has Vitaly Mutko cooked up now and um, is this going to help or not? Well, I mean, basically what, what's happened is Mutko has just made a short comment um, to the media saying that the foreigners' rule is going to change. It looks like being from the start of next season, so after the World Cup. And that is some, that's consistent with what he said, that we're not going to change the, the foreigners' rulings until after the World Cup. Um, but basically, the, you know, as you say, at the moment, the ruling is based on a match day starting 11. Mm. So very, very artificially enforcing five Russian players on the pitch at any time. Uh, and a rule that has been mooted for some time, it looks like this is what we're going to have, is a 10 plus 15 uh, squad registration limit. So 10 foreigners can be registered in the squad. Uh, and after that, the match day 11 can be lined up however a manager chooses. So it could be 10 foreigners in the starting lineup. 
and it's it's going to be discussed uh, in the you know it's going to be discussed in the corridors of power in the next few days or so. I understand. I don't think we're likely to see it be moved forward to this season. Although, don't forget, guys. You remember two years ago when the ruling was well, changed, yeah. <laughs> seven to six plus five. What was it? A week before the season started. A week before, fly, yeah. on the fly. Just like I mean, it's just, it's, it's just how, how mad was that? How crazy was that? But also, worryingly, how typical was that? You know? Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, the, the you know, basically, with this new ruling, I actually think it it gets it's about the best you could do with a ruling that limits foreigners in any way, because this way you're still. I mean, most most teams in the Premier League have more than ten foreigners at the moment. So, in fact, the ten plus fifteen would. Uh, would in in some cases actually cut down the number of foreigners, but also the competitiveness between the the players in the squad will still be kept. So exactly. you know, the Russians won't be entitled to their place; they'll have to fight for their place. Mm. And in turn, I actually think I would support this rule. Um, I, I don't know what you guys think about it. Do you think this is the right move? Well, I think it's in line with sort of what UEFA wants anyways. Anyone who plays football manager knows that you have to register a certain amount of homegrown players anyways, right? So it's not drastic. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think that the 6 plus 5 is a lot more limiting than this because how many of the, you know, Spartak, Senate, CSKA, Ruben maybe can afford to sign more than 10 top-class foreigners. Most of the other clubs couldn't even afford it. It would actually force them to maybe focus their budget on those those 10 foreigners being top-class players rather than, you know, some guy who they picked up on the beach in Brazil. So I think it's probably a good idea to do this. And it doesn't. it's not drastically different from what actually most European leagues do anyways because of the UEFA Champions League rulings, right? I believe it's eight homegrown players that you need and you need plus four players that you have um, have developed yourself in your Champions League squad out of 23 or 25. So this isn't crazy. It's it's not radical at all. I mean, this is this is how I see it, and I think it's probably a lot better than 6 plus 5. Chris, what do you think, Tim? I, I like it. I, I, I think that's a, it's a right move, and I think that's what should have happened a long time ago. Um, the way now the Russian clubs have to work within this six plus five rule is that there are Russian positions on the field and there are foreigners' position on the field. So, for example, um, right backs or left backs are in mostly in every team are Russian players. So Russian players uh, compete against Russian players. So let's say right back is a Russian position, Russian passport position. For example, two center backs, uh, they are uh, foreigners' positions. So it um, disables a Russian player to compete for a place in, in squad with a player who might be a, a better quality. So it really makes this, you know, like uh, even uh, uh, like one of the best uh, Russian journalists, Vasily Utkin, he was joking that if we would have had um, a World Cup of just right backs, we would have won it because we have so many right, Russian right backs. We are the best nation in the in the world with right backs because we have so many of them. Uh, but I, I think now this it, it just really it, um, gives a little bit more competition. This new rules is uh, ten plus fifteen gives um, like it's not about passport now. It's just pure about your ability to play football and you have to be better than everybody else. So I, I really like this rule and I think that's the right move. Like the, the the only thing they should have done it maybe a long time ago. Yeah, I mean the six plus five rule. I have probably bashed it so many times in football grad articles. I have a very strong opinion. And rightly so. I think it's the worst yeah. idea that they ever cooked up. I think the 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 moment you when when you look at Spain and Germany, the two most successful countries, there's no limitation yes. to the exactly. players that they can field, and they still are able to produce. The two best, the, the best national teams in the world. And look at Germany right now. We, though Joachim Löw doesn't even know we, who he needs to cut next year. There's 50 players that he can choose from at the moment. And yet they, these players still have to compete for their spots with foreigners in the club teams because there's no limitation whatsoever. And it's the same in La Liga in Spain, arguably the best club football in the world. And it's the same thing. And yet the Spanish national team, they produce, they have a conveyor belt. They, it's exactly the same as in Germany. They don't even know where to put all their talents anymore. So <laughs> I, I think it really it it's it's sort of this kind of top down Soviet approach that you say like, look, we need to 
we need to set production goals. How do we do it? Yeah. So then that's that's what they cooked up. It's a Soviet idea, and it's 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 it was ridiculous at times. This makes more sense because it actually is in line with with you know UEFA regulations in a way. It's a little bit tougher than UEFA regulations, but not by a lot. You know. So I think it's it's a lot better. But yeah, uh, speaking about communists, <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> uh, there was a strong communist opinion about this as well, wasn't there? Yeah, the um, there's, there's <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's it just my head, my heart slightly sinks when I when I see stories <laughs> like this come out. But um, yeah, a, uh, a minister of the Communist Party, uh, Yuri Afonin, has come out and said, and it will be debated in the State Duma today. In fact that he wants any public funds, any state companies, and you know, as we know, the Russian game is basically propped up by either you know, regional governments or state companies. He wants no money, public money, to be spent on foreign players and for all of it spent on youth development. I mean, it just, for me, it just thinks of a complete lack of understanding of what football exactly. is. In looking at exactly. it like... You know, that's a direct formula for instant success. Well, not even instant success, but guaranteed success in his eyes. You know, it's, 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 it's like the, the foreigner limit. Mm. The attitude that give them game time and they will be better is just is clearly not correct. And like the examples you mentioned, man, you know, the lack of limit in Spain and Germany, the competition, the fight will naturally filter out those who don't have it in them and are not going to make it, are not going to have the drive to make it. Um, it's the competition that makes them better, and that is what we need. So this public funds on foreign players, the, the ban on it, it's, I, I just think it's a bit pointless, really. Um, it's, it's going to be, and I'm hoping it's something that won't be picked up by you know, a lot of uh, foreign media because they'll easily be able to spin it into yet another racist agenda. And you know, it's, it's a voice that... I don't believe it is a racist idea. I think it's just a short-sighted idea. Um, it's just a bit dumb, really. Um, you know, there's there's been plenty of you know plenty of talk in the past about the funding of youth academies in Russia and um, the the system rather than the level of funding is what I see as being the problem. Um, you know, having you know having state governments, regional governments have a major say in the funding of clubs. It just, well, we've spoken about it a million times mm. before. And it comes down to youth development as well as the first team squad. It's, it's just wrong. Um, I'm just on a side note. I noticed today as well that um, uh, Ufa, who they, they had their best finish they've ever had in the, in the Premier League last season, um, finishing seventh. And they've just had their budget cut in half by their regional government, who they also want to fund their the hockey team, Salava Yulayev, who apparently didn't have a good season last season. Um, it's like that system is, is just wrong. And mm. you know, the you know diverting funds away from foreign players towards youth development, that's not going to solve the problem. Um, it's I, I don't know. I think uh, I think it's a worrying stance, really, um, because it's only going to hold the Russian game back. I'm going to be very controversial and say that he's right. Um, for the simple reason, because when we had the... The reason Germany did so well as they did is because clubs were forced to spend a lot of money into youth development. And the reason for that was because the they had a television contract breakdown in the early 2000s. And of course, the bad, the national team doing very poorly as well. But they, it was actually put into the licensing agreement that teams had to spend a certain amount of money on the academies in order to get a license for the first, second division, which then also meant that all the teams in the third division got it because, you know, in, in order to play in the first two divisions, you need to have it, right? So all the teams in the third division got it. And now all the teams in the fourth division have it too. The uh, license center, you know, the youth academies that are top-notch youth academies. And once you put in money into youth academies, you don't want your investment to go sour, right? So you, you use those players, you let them play. So... I think he sold the idea not quite the right way. But, I mean, it is public funds. And, you know, when you go with public funds, you can argue that those public funds should be used for the greater good. So buying a Brazilian off the beach, um, you know, from Rio de Janeiro, who, who has no sustainability in terms of what he does long term. Yes, he will score maybe X amount of goals for in doing one season, but he will not help the club develop long term rather than taking that same money, putting it into the academy, and that same money then could maybe produce two players that can then 
you know, help the team for X amount of years and maybe get sold and earn your money rather than spending money. I think there is something to it. Um, I think that he did not do the best job selling this idea because, as you rightly say, it gets it gets um, presented in a way, and it will be presented in a way that will laugh about it. I can just I'm just waiting for the Daily Fail article to come out and just say like, "Oh, look at this Russian politician suggests no more foreigners should be bought with Russian money." Uh, and, you know, like sigh. But I think I think that he is he is on the right path with it. You, you, Manny, I know, I know the line you're going down, and I understand it. Um, my, my thing, my thing really is, it's just the focus as well, not the actual intention. So I guess I agree with you on that point that you know investment in youth development is is obviously important. But for me, it's the it's the system that youth development is is in that I see as the problem. Um, you know, I I'm going to use Dynamo Moscow as an example briefly here. When they had their financial fair play problems and it inevitably led to the fire sale of all their top stars and they and were ultimately relegated last summer, um, it was the best thing that could have happened to the club because it meant that they had to use um, re- rely on their youth system, which don't forget, the Dynamo Moscow youth team, I forget at which exact level, whether it was U18 or U19, won the Russian youth championship two years in a row. And these are the same players playing week in, week out, and they were starting to come through into their team last season in the second tier. Mm. Um, so basically what I guess I'm saying is that it's, you know, investment in the youth, uh, youth academies is, is only good if there is a clear pathway and a sustainable pathway to first-team football. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. There's no point, you know, giving 18-year-olds a good time training them up to be good if they're not going to actually end up having a realistic chance and hope of a professional career. Um so for me, in a weird kind of way, I guess I'm proposing more of a, you know, a, a top-down approach in this sense because, you know, the, the, the youth academies, they're not going to focus their energies or spend a great deal of funds on them if it's not going to have in long-term or medium-term a tangible end product. Um, and that will only come if they have a system where the young players have to prove themselves more um, and therefore they're going to be willing to actually develop better ones to basically save themselves more money in the long run. Um, so I don't know. I think um, I, I see what you mean about the state funds, public money going towards you know local players. That's good, but only within the right system for me. Yeah. Tim, what do you think? What do you make of this? Uh, you know, Russian politics can be funny. Let's be honest. And we get some real characters in the Duma. <laughs> if you want to, if you want, if you want to have a good soap opera to watch, I think you can actually watch the Duma live online. It's always good fun. But uh, <laughs> what do you make of this? Uh, you know, I agree with, uh, with actually both of you guys, and uh, that the guy just has absolute lack of understanding how football and <laughs> Russian football works. There's no doubt that German way is the best. Just look at the, who won the last trophies uh, just this summer and who won the World Cup. It just proves that German way is the way. But at the same time, how the hell a team like Tom Tomsk will build an academy if they don't have enough money to just travel to another city mm. to play a game? Like, it just completely, like, of course, Spartak can build an academy, and we have, and we have the best academy in the country, and we produce players, we just need a little bit more time, it's fairly new in terms of, like, you know, in terms of approach to academy. CSKA has good academy, Dynamo, Lokomotiv, all those club clubs, yes, they do, they do, like, Krasnodar, great academies, but there's only six, seven top clubs in Russia, how, and Amkar can uh, invest in academy just club and then speaking about fnl clubs they have no money and even even if they would have money this money will be stolen corrupted or whatever it's complete lack of understanding and andrew is absolutely right it's not the issue it's not the approach it's the system it's a, it's a rotten system with corruption and uh, things that uh, really just stop russian football from development and um um this statement from this communist gentleman is absolute just um, a lack of understanding how the Russian football works. And um, even, yeah, and also saying that, okay, let's stop spending money on foreign players. You know, the small teams, like I said, like Tom Toms, Kamkar, they spend very little money on foreign players. It's neg- neg- negligible amounts of money, how much is spent. Of course, Zenit spends a lot of money. But it's it's just a, a few clubs which do that, 
and the rest of clubs are in, in almost uh, battling the poverty every year. How they can uh, come up with wonderful, beautiful academies. Uh, it's a system. It's not the approach. That's the problem. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And uh, you mentioned Zenit here. And I want to move to them next. Spend a lot of money recently on a foreigner. And it's probably not <laughs> the last time they spend a lot of money on a foreigner. And I just a little side note here. Owned by Gazprom. So this is state money. 17 million euros from Paredes, I believe, right? Or was it 27? Um, that's a lot of state money invested in one Argentinian. <laughs> what do you guys make of that? <laughs> Andrew? Yes. It's, well, you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's a complete shift of policy <laughs> from Zanit, isn't it? I mean, you know, not that long ago, we, we had the likes of Hulk and Axel Witzel arriving. Then last summer, it was... You know, the, the Mercier Luchesco approach to bringing Hanani, a relatively unknown Brazilian, into the squad, low key signings, not a lot of money spent. And now we're right back to bringing in Leandro Paredes. Now, I can't confess to having watched him uh, a great deal of a great deal of times, but he's, he's, a, he's a big name um, in European football. So the, the, the interesting thing for me with Zanit is that they have done a lot of business already. Um, incoming business, but not a great deal of outgoing business. And you know, the, you talk about the you know the foreigner limits that uh, we mentioned earlier. Um, even if the the rule was changed to the ten plus fifteen, they'd be in a fair bit of trouble because they brought in Paredes, Argentinian, um, Nabar, um Ecuadorian, um, even Jovanovic, who has been out on loan. He's come back into the squad. He's Serbian. Um, Okay, Robert Mack, I believe, has just gone out on loan. Um, and Danny, Nicholas Lomberts has gone. Robert Mack, to be honest, I thought was, was he's, he's the symbol of a poor transfer policy. I he was utterly useless and didn't bring anything to. How do you really he, feel about him, Andrew? <laughs> well, oh, he's a lovely fella. You know, really, really nice. <laughs> but no, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll focus on, on Mack and Mollo. I see those two as um, contrasting transfers and how they were dealt. Both foreigners, both wingers. But Molo, for me, is he, he was a sensible signing. You know, he was very cheap. Uh, he was, he's already been playing in the Russian league, of course, with Krelia. And he's, he's electric. He's, he's a game changer. Um, Robert Max, a tidy winger, but he really didn't improve the squad at all. Um, and yet Molo was hardly played last season. So I'm hoping uh, Molo played in the friendly against Austria Vienna yesterday um, alongside uh, Leandro Paredes. Uh, and did quite well. So um, I think Zanit's squad is starting to look very dangerous again, um, but mm-hmm. they, they've got a lot of spring cleaning still to do. So I'll be interested to see how many of their, especially the foreigners, but generally the deadwood in the squad, they actually managed to move out. Yeah, 30 players in the squad right now, 60 legionaries <laughs> as they call them. It's, that's a lot of deadwood. You know, ideal squad size is 25 players, right? That's how many you can register for UEFA anyways. And... 12, 12 legendaries means that you can only that half of them will be sitting on the bench every game day. They did bring in Dimitri Polos. I thought that was a clever signing, personally. A Russian yeah, player. A, a very clever signing. Um, Dala Kuzayev, I'm not quite sure what to make of him yet, but I, I, that's, that's, you know, it's also Zenit have always been very good gobbling up very good uh, Russian players. Dennis Terentiev, uh, I think that's a good signing too. You know, Rostov, we'll talk about them in a moment. They're in shambles a little bit. But, you know, Zenit don't seem to be done at all. They still talk about Costa Manolas. Um, we, funnily enough, have a very good contact who is from us. And um, while these transfers were happening, I was talking to someone there and Manolas rejected the deal because of lifestyle. The official version was because he didn't want to pay in ruble, pay, paid in rubles. That's, of course, nonsense. That's not true. It's uh, much more complex than that. But from what I've heard, that deal is not quite off. It just really depends on the other option that Manolas gets. And Senators mm-hmm. are willing to pay a lot of money for good players. And I'm sure that if Manolas falls through, that's not going to be the end of their transfer spendings. You know? But at the same time, you know, if they bring in another expensive defender they will have to cut players and we're talking about six seven players and some of them are foreigners that's going to be a lot of work for Mancini because you know one of the things that we talked about right is the fact that Mancini is not always the easiest character and that he has to now deal with a very complex squad so Tim how is he going to do this 
I don't know. That's the question. Like, I'm honestly very scared of Zenit. Like, they're doing, like, they buying those players and they buying good quality players. Uh, even in the end of last season, I already spoke and I said they already had a pretty uh, a big squad and good squad and they needed to get rid of players. Now they bought even more players. So I'm not sure how he's going to manage, but Zenit looks very dangerous for this season. Lots mm. of good signings. Like, I completely agree with you. The signing of Polosin and Yerokin, we have to keep in mind that the next year is still 6 plus 5 rule. So they still need to have Russian players. And they will have Russian because they have the goalie, they have Zuba, and um, like Smolnikov players who will probably play um, as long as they are fit. Uh, but still having quite a few um, additional new Russian players um, with Russian passports gives um, quite a good freedom uh, with that 6 plus 5 rule for Mancini. But I have no idea who will leave the club and how he's going to make those decisions. I absolutely agree with you. Mm. It's 30 people. They're talking about bringing a couple more. He really has to kick out seven, eight, nine players. Mm. Uh, and again, going back to our previous conversation, there's absolutely no room right now for young players, for development yeah. players in that squad. So um, I don't know how he's going to do it. He has time, maybe, because because the transfer window is still open. Like the, the league starts in a couple of weeks, but the, uh, the window is open. So, But I'm still, it will be very interesting to see who will leave and who will stay, and if um, and who will come in? So it's I think that it's a lot of work for Mancini right now, and this is what he's working on. And uh, we just have to see. We just, I think we just have to wait and see how he'll get rid of, like I said, probably five to seven to nine players. Yeah, and they heavily bought players from Rostov, and you know oh, yeah. we want to talk about Rostov in just a moment because. Zenit are not the only play club that have gutted Rostov in recent weeks. Ruben Kazan have been really busy too, you know, taking, looks like they're taking Sada Asmun. They took Kurban Bedeev as the coach. So, Andrew, you wrote an article about Rostov before we briefly talk about Kazan, but that club is falling apart. Oh, well, absolutely. And it's, it's just so, it's so upsetting to watch, but... I guess what's even more upsetting and depressing is the fact that it's not a desperately new story in Russian football, is it, really? Um, I mean, basically, Rostov, I mean, for, for anybody who's not a regular follower of Russian football, they're not the most fashionable side, but in the last year, you will have heard of them, surely, in the Champions League, they beat Bayern Munich 3-2. Mm. Uh, they ran Atletico Madrid very close. They, they knocked out Anderlecht and Ajax. I mean, they... They, they were a great, great side. Such a good unit, knitted together with, you know, experienced players, players who are hardworking, um, and most of all by Kurban Berdev. And now that he's left, now that the funding for the club, and they, they did have a very wealthy local businessman who was, well, he was funding, uh, Ivan Savidis, he was funding the club when they needed help, but now he's, he's basically withdrawn his support. So on a financial aspect, they're worse off. The um, managerial aspect, they're worse off. And the squad has just been decimated. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to go quite as far as saying they'll be, they'll be relegated, but they're going to be fighting relegation more than aiming for Europe this season. Um, and I don't think we've seen the end of it yet. I don't think we've seen... They have made some signings this summer, but um, lower key ones more than anything. Uh, Artur Yusupov is supposed to be on trial and could be going on loan. Um, Pavel Mogilevets is back again on loan. So, you know, reasonable players. And also, they've got Said Ezetolaki coming back from loan at Andrew Mahachkala. Mm. I'm a big fan of his. They've signed another young Iranian, a 19-year-old, who, you know, my my sources in Iran are raving about this guy. He's scored bags of goals for their under-19 squad. Uh, Musa Dumbia at Arsenal Tula. He had a good season. So, it's not it's not complete doom and gloom. They've got some good players in the squad, but I just don't see them holding it together for the whole season. Um, uh, I, I think surviving relegation will be successful for them, which is, which is such a shame given they were champions league last year, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for them. Yeah. And I mean, this, it seems like that the team that's benefited almost the most other than Senet is uh, Ruben Kazan, right? Tim, I mean, Kurban Bedeev, when I was in Kazan, a lot of people are saying that Kurban Bedeev should be coaching both Kazan and the national team because that's the, mm -hmm. that's the feeling that they get, that he, with his system and with his understanding of football, he could get the most out of this Bornaya and he will mm -hmm. completely reform Ruben Kazan. They had a dreadful season last year. 
Stardar Asmoon, he has not signed. He's just training with the club right now, but it does seem like that's where he's going to end up. There is loose contacts to Lazio, I believe. But it does really seem like Ruben are bringing back the lost son. And we joked about that the other day, didn't we, Tim? And now it actually looks like it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, I'm not even surprised at that. Because he just follows Birdeev wherever he goes. So it's not surprising. If you look, if you don't know the story, the backstory, it sounds just ridiculous. The guy just going back and forward between two clubs. And uh, and it just looks ridiculous. But yeah, he's he follows the uh, Birdeev. Even... Um, Andrew probably will be will be one to confirm because like there was relatively recent talks about Liverpool being interested in Lisbon, right? Well, I mean, he's there was there was talk about it. I even actually went on a podcast a few months ago, Liverpool fan podcast about um, about Asmoon, and I, I actually at the time didn't recommend him as a suitable player. I don't think he would fit into the fast paced Jurgen Klopp style, but. You know, he's certainly on the radar of top European teams. That's the main point I think we can take um, take out of this. But hmm. like you say, Tim, I mean, he really does follow Bedev wherever he goes. And the only way he could have possibly returned to Rubin was only if Bedev went as well. Because don't forget last summer. Do you remember how it all went down? In the, he didn't report to training at Rubin. He went AWOL and practically forced through a move to Rostov. And then there was that dispute with... FIFA and the uh, court of arbitration for sport over who held the, the legitimate contract. I can imagine uh, the owners, well, certainly the owners last um, uh, last season were decidedly unhappy with uh, Mr. Asmoon, but seeing as they now have a slightly different ownership structure with um, uh, with the new, uh, well, the, the company that's been sponsoring the trade, just forgotten the name off the top of my head, but um, that might help smooth things over in that front. Yeah, but, uh, about that, I, Andrew. Uh, we talked. <laughs> we talked to. I talked to Thomas Gills for a long time, and he went to that press conference in Kazan during the Comfort Cup, and uh, it's still the same ownership. <laughs> they just put, they put a different label on it, but it's the same bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah it's, it's very difficult to to disconnect most groups, I guess. But I, I think um, I think the fact that Berdev is back. That's um, that's certainly going to be. Uh, uh, I, mean, I can't imagine he'll be anywhere else. I really can't imagine Asmin staying at Rostov, um, regardless of where he where um, Bedev had been. But yeah, back at Rubin Kazan, there's a bit more of a feel good factor about the club this season, I guess, with mm. the, the, the the moves they've made. Um, Vladimir Granat coming in, uh, Kudryashov. Um, they will. That their players that obviously Bedev has used last season. They fit into a three-five-two brilliantly. Um, and you know, I, I've even I think Cesar Navas is even training with the club as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you know, if if he was to sign, it's, it seems very likely he will, um, along with Asmoon. And and suddenly you've got uh, you've got a squad there with some you know some good young Russian talent um, and a manager who knows obviously knows the club inside out, knows the players inside out. Um, you know, they massively underperformed last season, and when you add Berdyev and these new players into the mix, then they really, really have got to be looking at challenging for Europe at, at the very least, you'd have thought. Yeah, I think that's definitely that's definitely in the cards for them, especially with Bediev back. Of course, legendary his performance a few years ago where he coached Ruben Kazan to a 1-0 victory at the new camp in Barcelona. That's, of course, always going to be in mind. And then, of course, his master performance last season against Bayern, where he wasn't the coach, he was the vice president. We all know what really was going on there. So, exactly. yeah. But speaking about coaches, um, the first Russian coach in England, he's uh, making some headways, isn't he, Tim? And you you following uh, Leonid Slutsky and his steps in Hull City. Tell us what's going on. Well, he uh, started training. Uh, the, the training camp is open. They started training at home uh, in in their uh, training camp in Hall, and then they're leaving to off to Portugal uh, for a little bit more intense uh, training. And they will be playing, I believe, three games. With the last one, the last game being uh, against Benfica. So it's going to be a quite an interesting opposition playing at you know at the um, at the stadium uh, against uh, Benfica. He gave uh, so far two big interviews to the Hall official YouTube channel, and I was just amazed by the level of English Leonid Slutsky uh, can speak. Uh, given that six months when in January he moved to um, uh, England, practically didn't speak. English, he couldn't really handle the conversation. 
this is probably the biggest progress the human uh, Russian body is capable for. <laughs> He's amazing. He, he, like, you know, he obviously makes mistakes. There's an accent thing, but there's no problem in communication. He, you get exactly what he says, what he's trying to, what, what the information he delivers. It's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of him and I'm really wishing him to, to do well. It's very interesting um, story. Um, everyone says that he is so open to fans. And we spoke on the podcast before that he ended up in Hull, which is a very tough place to be because there's a, um, like, you know, kind of hidden conflict between the fans and the owners of the club so he can't really go either way he has to support the fans and he has to support the owners he is in like between two fires um uh, situations so he's extremely open to everyone and uh, even um i listened to the um, uh, to a couple of other um, journalists speaking to them and meeting actually with uh, Slutsky. They say he's very open for interviews, he's open for communication, he's very smiling and he, like we spoke before on the pod, he um, he took this right approach instead of just getting into the job. He went to England, he watched a lot of football, he watched a lot of championship football to understand the league, to understand uh, the, the quality of, of the game there, uh, how, 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 how it all works. And um, he took his time. He found the job, the job which will be a, a tough one. But I think he's doing the right steps. He's extremely open. He's extremely um, hardworking. And I really wish him, I really wish him um, success in that, um, in, in that job. It's a very interesting project. And he is probably the, the best coach right now in Russia to try working uh, abroad and especially in England. Yeah, Andrew, the... We talked often about how difficult the championship is to navigate. I um, still remember my reaction when I actually realized there was 24 teams in, in that league. It's, just, <laughs> it's astonishing. But um, I'm looking at their their transfers right now, and they've sold Harry Maguire, who's a talented defender, to Leicester City. But they haven't really brought in very many players. Liam Edwards, I see, from Swansea City's U18, and Greg Orley from Hull City's U23 was moved up. There's money to spend there, but um, you know there isn't much time to do it because they're starting the season August 5th against Aston Villa. And Aston Villa is, of course, one of those sides that are favorites to be promoted, right? Um, that's, that's a difficult task in a lot of ways, right? When, when, yeah. you, really, when you look at it and the, the players available to him, he will have to make a lot of changes quickly uh, to get the squad together and to hit the ground running more or less. Well, yeah, I, I watched his I watched his press conference today actually, and he was talking about uh, he's talking about about six to seven players he wants to bring in, so he's aware of having to you know freshen up the the squad. And he's yeah, like Tim says, his his English is just is fantastic, and his manner that he comes across is very light hearted and approachable and friendly. Um, but when it came to the serious business of the actual squad itself, he's he's stressed quite a lot that he wants to keep the squad together as much as he can. Almost seems to be stressing that more than the actual signings. Now I don't know whether that was him just being conservative because he didn't want to, you know, make promises uh, that he can't keep. But um, he certainly does have to make some signings if he wants to get out of the championship. Because it is, I mean, whatever whatever the specific quality of the league is the competitiveness of it is possibly the hardest league to get out of. You, you mentioned Aston Villa as favourites to be promoted. I mean, Manny, to be quite honest with you, I'm, I'm not even sure I would say that. They are a big club, mm. but there are so many clubs that are, you just cannot predict it. And I think it is, he's given himself the best chance of preparing for it. But I think even, even with his six month preparation period and his studying of English and studying of, the English game and the English culture, even that's still going to make it tough for him. Um, I mean, the fact that he's different, I think, will be an interesting, uh, an interesting approach um, for attracting players. Hull is not exactly the most glamorous city in the world, and I don't mean to be disparaging about it, but um, it's uh, it is the European capital of culture, by the way, this year. Um, so. I, I don't actually know what the culture is there, but um, anyhow, the fact is it's not an easy sell. If you're a London club, sure, that's easier if you play. You know, so Fulham, for example, well, they, they, they live in the same area of town as Chelsea, the uh, very wealthy area. So Hull is not exactly the same, but I think Slutsky is very, very clear with his plans. So that's going to be a good 
a good way to sell it to any players they want to attract. Um, he sounds he sounds well prepared. He sounds like he's got a good list of what he wants. He can yeah. communicate well with the squad. And yeah, I I think it is a very very sensible move um, for him. There was talk originally of him going to a you know mid-table Premier League club, or even there were rumours of him joining the Chelsea coaching staff. Yeah. I think those would have been a a huge mistake. Hull is about the, the most ideal place for him, I think. So I, I, I'm pretty confident that Hull will be there or thereabouts, at least in the playoffs by the end of the season, uh, unless something drastically terrible happens. Yeah, maybe to wrap it up, what do you expect, Andrew, in, in terms of investment, spendings? Um, they have the parachute money, right, from being relegated. Do you have any inkling of who he might want to bring in and how much money they're going to be able to spend? Well, I, I mean, in terms of specific targets, I, I'm, I'm not 100% certain who they'll be able to bring in, but I'd imagine they'd be able to spend uh, spend a fair bit. Parachute payments, I believe, are something like £40 million pounds a year um, for the three years after after relegation. So um, they will, I mean, in theory, have, have £40 million to spend then, I guess. Uh, and bearing in mind, like you said, Harry Maguire has gone for something like £12 million, pounds, so that's a... a fair chunk of money coming back as well there is talk Andy Robertson is very likely to leave to Liverpool um, and he's pretty much Hull's best player they have left almost mm. uh, a big loss if they lost him but it would mean significant transfer money coming in there could be anything up to 50-60 million to spend so in terms of where they'd look he was asked about bringing Russian players in the press conference and he said basically no um, it's just it's too difficult and I think What he was referring to was it's too difficult to persuade Russian players to come and join him at Hull. Um, I actually think one or two could could um, could do with that sort of a move. But yeah. but anyhow, um, in terms of he talked also about loan players from Chelsea. Uh, obviously, his link with uh, Abramovich and his friendship there. I think that's something we could see happen. Um, so possibly um, uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek has been talked about. Mm. Uh, he, uh, England at the under 21 Euros and he's a, he's a good player 21 years old I think so he could be a player that we might see move to Hull um, and seeing as that would be on loan it still keeps plenty of plenty of funds for other transfers so I think he'll have plenty of opportunity to bring in new players but it'll be interesting to see how well he manages on that front yeah definitely interesting to follow guys that's it I want to wrap it up um, Tim anything you want to pluck before we go Yeah, I'm doing the massive festival in Vancouver, Rocket from Russia Fest. This is going to be so great. I My band will be playing, 11 other great bands will be playing. This is going to be great. In Vancouver, 21st, 22nd, Rocket from Russia Fest, you should come. Oh, man, I might come. 21st <laughs> to 22nd, I'm there, man. Uh, that sounds like a good time. I, I gather you can uh, organize me some tickets. No, for, for you, my friend. Absolutely. <laughs> VIP best seats in the in the place. Awesome. I'll talk to you offline on that. Andrew, what do you have to block? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of jealous I don't live in Vancouver right now. <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'll be doing some uh, pardon me, I'll be doing some editing work for these Football Times magazine. We're bringing out a uh, we just bought out a Mexico edition and the next issue will be out in a couple of months, but you can you can order it now on the Netherlands. Uh, I know that's a country you spent time in, Manu. So um, it's got some great pieces in there. So that's something to definitely keep an eye out for. So go, yeah, thesefootballtimes.co, um, the website. Have a look there, and uh, I'll be bringing out uh, an article on a fifth-tier Czech Republic team next. So um, if you like that sort of thing, oh. keep your eyes peeled. That sounds really interesting. You obviously also had a very good article on Rostov, and uh, everyone should go over to Football Grad and read, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'll be I'll be doing more. I hope to try and step up a bit more of my written coverage um, for Football Grad and hopefully some some video reporting as well. I'll be going to the first game of the season against against Rostov, in fact, um, on a week on Saturday. So I'll be there and um, there's a little fan tournament I might be reporting on before the game as well. So more video reporting too for Football Grad. Yeah, that sounds good and lots of it on Twitter. So that's that really is... Is it for me like Football Grad Live is where you can find this podcast and you can find the, the three homepages that we run and all um, 
today's article um, out on the development of the host cities that's that's been pu published. Andrew's article is published. There is a wrap-up of the Confederation Cup that has been published on footballgrad.com and then over on fußballstadt.com. We have an article, well, lots of articles from the German national team and their triumph in Russia, but also Matthias Ginter moving from Borussia Dortmund to Gladbach, which I think is an interesting move uh, for him. Yeah. So there is, a, there is an article on that. It's out on fußballstadt.com. You can follow me at Manuel at Manuel Weff, uh, on Twitter. It's very entertaining. I tend to report on players that Liverpool wants to sign and doesn't get. <laughs> so if you are in, into that kind of stuff, go over there. And uh, other than that, that is it from us. We'll be on back on our regular schedule next week. I'm going to keep it more regular now because I'm heading back to the West Coast. I'm heading back home to lay low a little bit and uh, have tons of articles coming and this will this will be a fantastic season coming up for us with tons of podcast articles etc so um, please stay tuned well until next time bye bye Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.